Hello, and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. For our last podcast of the year, we're returning to the subject of self-harm and suicide, which was uh, the topic of our first podcast. Specifically, we'll be discussing a paper that we recently published with one of the authors, Annette Erlangson. Hello, Annette. Hello. Hello. Um, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, I'm working as a um, associate professor at the um, Mental Health uh, Centre at Copenhagen in Denmark, and mm-hmm. I'm sort of working on uh, suicide research predominantly. Okay. And your paper is called Short-Term and Long-Term Effects of Psychosocial Therapy for People After Deliberate Self-Harm, a register-based nationwide multicenter study using propensity score matching. Now, this has received a great deal of media attention. Lots of people have read it. It's now going to be made free to read online. And uh, I'd just like to to really help people to navigate their way through uh, this paper. So uh, if we could start with a few questions about the study. And and first of all, what what the thinking was behind it? Why did you do this study? Well, um, we know from uh, international literature that uh, people who carry out an episode of uh, deliberate self-harm they are at uh, higher risk of uh, repeating self-harm behaviors, and they also are at higher risk of uh, dying by suicide and also of uh, mortality in general. So we know this is a population that is at high risk, so it's very important to offer support to them. Yet uh, we don't really know what is uh, working. We don't have clear indications what kind of uh, interventions uh, may be beneficial for this group. So this is some of the background for why we thought it could be interesting to carry out this study. Another thing that was uh, important to us, of course, was that we had uh, data available. It's the way that in Denmark, since 1992, there has been uh, centers who have offered um, psychosocial um, therapy to people who have attempted uh, suicide. So these clinics are called clinics for suicide prevention. And since 2007, the Danish Board of Health have uh, made these, uh, this offer of uh, psychosocial support to people at risk of suicide. They have made it a nationwide offer. Okay. And, and I mean, this is clearly a priority. We know that, that um, self-harm is, is a very distressing thing. We know that suicide is, is really a, a very difficult experience uh, for families and, and, of course, to say nothing of the distress of, of the individual. And so this, this is a, an important area. And you were looking at a certain type of intervention which you mentioned, which are psychosocial interventions. What, what do you mean by a psychosocial intervention? What's, what's the rationale? How, how does it work? Why should it work? Yeah, um, originally the, the support in Denmark was uh, inspired by uh, a Norwegian uh, study uh, mm-hmm. carried out in Berum in the outskirts of Oslo where they where they, based on clinical observations, found that people who had carried out self-harm, they they uh, had problems. Now, it was they were in a crisis situation, and many times they had a lot of practical problems that they had difficulty solving, and they also had. Uh, so, one of the things they were pointing out was that. Um, problem-solving skills uh, might uh, might be a good issue to, to work on in this population here. And that's some of the things that has been uh, taken up in the, the therapy that is um, offered. Okay. And the thing which I found interesting about the study was the design. We're, we're told time and again that 
randomized controlled trials, RCTs as they're abbreviated to, are the gold standard. But here this was a, a cohort design instead of a randomized trial, and, and I wonder why you chose this design and what advantages it might even have over, over an RCT in this case. Yeah, we would clearly have preferred a, a randomized clinical trial because uh, a such study would uh, provide uh, findings on a higher level of evidence, but uh, it was not feasible in this case here. Firstly, it would take a long time to uh, to carry out a study like that, and uh, there are some uh, ethical implications. We we actually I talked with one of the people who were involved in introducing this uh, support 20 years ago, and they said at that time they had thought of doing an RCT first to test it, but they were actually uh, not permitted to do so for ethical concerns because a group of people who are at very high risk of repeating self-harm, you can't just observe them unhelped. It doesn't seem right. So this was why we had to uh, to settle with less in terms of uh, evidence, but we tried to compensate for this as well as possible by using a propensity score matching where we were sort of selecting a, a comparison group that matched the people who had received the intervention on as many criteria as we possibly could. Okay, and to cut to the the chase, as it were, what what was the uh, end result? What what was your 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 main set of findings from the study? Yeah, so we observed uh, or using the, the Danish register data, we were able to uh, follow up on all people who had received uh, this psychosocial therapy after uh, an episode of uh, deliberate self-harm. And we compared them to people who had uh, presented with self-harm at the emergency department, but where we could see via their personal ID number that they had not received the, this treatment. So we compared these two groups and we found that people who had received the therapy, they had, uh, after one year uh, of uh, follow-up, we could see they had a 27% lower risk of repeating uh, self-harm and they also had a 38% lower risk of dying by any cause of death. We also did uh, follow-ups on longer periods of time and we could see that after five years of follow-up, there was also a lower risk of repeated self-harm, but there was also 34% lower risk of uh, dying by suicide, as well as a 20% lower risk of dying in general. So uh, this is one of the first studies in the developed, well, it is actually, to our knowledge, the first study in the developed world who demonstrates to be able to uh, offer a support that prevents suicide. Suicide is a very rare event, so uh, studies need large samples to be able to uh, observe an effect. Okay, so that, that really leads me on to my next question, which is where we go from here. We've talked about uh, the design of the study. Uh, you mentioned levels of evidence earlier. Is this the kind of evidence in this paper that you think is strong enough to change health policies or uh, support existing health policies? Well, ideally, one would prefer to have a, a randomized clinical trial to uh, base one's uh, decisions of, of uh, how to uh, spend healthcare funds. But as I said, uh, when you are looking at uh, uh, events such as death by suicide, it happens very rarely. So previous estimates are that one would need 45,000 people 
to conduct uh, should uh, to participate in a randomized clinical trial in order to demonstrate an effect towards suicide so it doesn't seem feasible to carry out a uh, an a randomized clinical trial so based on that this is perhaps the the best kind of evidence uh, we'll get okay and to to move on to talk about the implications of the study and uh, refining it um we could maybe discuss how this would feed into devising and refining therapies. Um, you mentioned earlier problem solving as, as maybe being a pivotal part of this. Yes. Um, since this was already carried out interventions, we didn't have much information about specifically what type of uh, therapy strategy was used in each single case. Uh, we know from the different clinics in Denmark that they offer different types of therapy and also they often base it on, on the individual case which things they are emphasizing in the in the treatment. So uh, we don't know exactly what was the thing that worked and uh, this is some of the things that we would very much like to look more into in the future studies. Uh, we would need to have a better understanding of what are the, the elements in the therapy that are actually working so that we can um, hopefully even improve therapy. But also uh, there are some issues about that there are many people who uh, who don't uh, maintain, who don't take the full offer of treatment. It's a total of eight to ten sessions that are offered, but we observe that quite a few actually drop out after just two or three sessions. So we would also like to know more about how we can improve the support so that people will be benefiting more from the therapy. Okay. And what about other high-risk groups to target? I'm thinking in particular of the work which uh, you've done, we, we published a review paper on it indeed in the first issue uh, with Alex Pittman, uh, all about bereavement by suicide and sudden unexpected bereavement as, as sort of risk factors for, for self-harm and suicide. Yes, so uh, people who carried out an uh, um, act of deliberate self-harm are of course not the only high-risk group when one is thinking of uh, suicidal behavior or, or death by suicide. There are a great deal of other groups we know in the in the society who have high risks of uh, suicide and it's of course very important to uh, to offer support for people who uh, are in need uh, as you mentioned people bereaved by suicide uh, we know that people who are that are bereaved by suicide they have high risks of also carrying out suicidal acts and it's very important to uh, offer support after such traumatic events okay well, thank you very much, Annette. That's very important work, and I know that it's a very sensitive and emotive area. So if you're listening and you've been affected by our discussion, uh, you, you might want to talk to people from one of the very helpful organizations uh, which are there. These include Samaritans in the UK on 08457909090. You can also find them at samaritans.org. In the US, there's Lifeline, uh, which is on one 800 273-8255 uh, and on the web it's at suicideprevention.lifeline.org. You can read the paper from Annette and her group on the Lancet Psychiatry website for free and it's also in this month's print issue. But for now, many thanks again Annette for joining me today and thanks to you the listener for downloading this podcast. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.